Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back to Salta Salam Rabbi Ari Kivan. Great to be with you here on this amazing, beautiful, warm, refreshing day. And we're going to continue our Tanya Talks. And today we will proceed with our discussion about how to move from a negative emotional state into positivity. One particular area that we find especially distressing is when we're going through pain, through suffering, through difficulties, through challenges. How can we overcome the negativity that that state puts us into? And the truth is, who is in any way exempt from those things? Is there anyone you know who has never suffered, who has known a loved one perhaps, who has gone through pain, through difficulties? Of course, it's a foolish question, because until Mashiach comes, then when we know there'll be an end, a complete termination to all pain and suffering, then we'll have that blissful tranquility without any hardships. But we all know all too well that until that day comes, may that happen soon. Pain and suffering is part of life. So the question isn't if... But how do we keep, how do we cope with the difficulties, the hardships, the challenges of life? Hardship and pain basically spawn many different types of negative emotions. Whether it's sadness or helplessness, anxiety, fear, worry, frustration, anger, jealousy, whatever it might be. And these Emotions are crippling. They cripple us emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, practically. So the question that we are going to discuss today, and in fact, we discussed it at great length yesterday at our JLI courses, and I promised those who have participated and attended that I'll try to cover some insights that we haven't really touched on in the class. And that's the question. How do we remain happy? How do we keep a positive state Avoid negativity when we have issues. I'm talking about real issues. People struggling to earn a livelihood. People having health challenges. Family issues. When we have worries about the future, the anxiety that life faces. So we know from our previous Tanya talks here on Chai FM that... The Tanya approach is that we got to move from away from that negativity. That is for certain. And how do we do that? By being in tune with our godly soul. So when we come back, we're going to discuss how to be more in tune with our nefesh elokit, with our godly soul paradigm, which will put us into a more positive emotional state. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. And welcome back to Soul to Salam, Rabbi Ari Kivan. And today we're talking about how to deal with pain and suffering in our lives, how to maintain a more positive attitude, happiness in such a state. And I'm going to share with you a story that we've previously mentioned. And it's a story about students of the great Magad of Mezrich who had a question in the Talmud we're told that a person is supposed to bless God for the bad in their lives just as we bless God for the good. 
And their question was, how is that humanly possible? Well, the Magad Rabbi Dover sent them to go see one of his students named Zusha. And they come to Zusha and they see this man. He is afflicted with all types of pain and suffering and difficulties and challenges in his life. And when they posed that question to him, his response was, you raise a good point. I don't know why the Rebbe sent you to me. How would I know? Should have sent you to somebody who has really experienced pain and suffering. And the question obviously is, how is this possible for Zusha to have that attitude? And it is even, is it even healthy or attainable by others? And that was, that's the basic question that comes from the story. And to answer it, I'd love to delve a little bit into the teachings of Tanya to share with us some inspiration because in Tanya, we are reminded of this Talmudic dictum and the Alter Rebbe explains to us that we, we shouldn't just accept or bless God for our misfortune, but we're even meant to rejoice over whatever challenges we face in our life. Now, the truth is sometimes people get upset over things you know, we lack extras, perhaps luxuries. But we don't need Tanya to deal with contending with those emotions of our entitlement or expectations. Just, you know, minimize, lower your expectations. I'm talking about the real important driving needs where people are really truly struggling, as we said before, with essentials, with health matters, with family uh, matters with uh, financial pressures with those types of issues and in Tanya we are reminded of that particular Mishnah that the students were asking Rabbi Dober the Magid and came to Zusha and the Talmud clarifies that when we bless God for the negative for misfortune we know there are blessings that we offer to praise God for good things in our life. Whether it's the blessing of Atoba Ametiv or the blessing of Shehechianu. When we hear sad, distressing news, there's also a blessing, Diana Emet. But obviously, if you want to peel the layers a little deeper, we need to accept both the pleasurable as well as the painful experiences of life with equal gladness, with equanimity. And how is that possible is the question they asked the rabbi. And this is a matter that's discussed in Tanya. We all know the question of why do bad things happen to good people. But when you explore it within the context of Tanya, your question might change from not why do bad things, but do bad things even happen? And we know a basic premise of Judaism is that everything God does is for the good. And we see this throughout Tanakh where God says, I love you, and all I'll do for you is good. And the Baal Shem Tev uses as a metaphor, he was born to his parents in their old age, although he was orphaned at a very young age as well. But he employs that parable of a child born to their elderly parents. He knows, He knew it, he felt it, how much they loved him. And he says, the love of God to us is far greater than that. Because just as God is infinite, everything about him, including his love, is endless, is unlimited. But we finite beings cannot comprehend that infinity. So the Baal Shem Tov uses an example that he experienced in his life, the love 
the enormity of that great love that his parents had for him in their old age to illustrate to us, to convey the message, an inkling of the love that God has for us. And for anyone listening who is a parent, just think for a moment how much your love is for your children. Or if you obviously are a child of parents, then think to yourself how much your parents love you. And this, the Baal Shem Tov says, is only a fraction of the love that God has for each of us. Everyone, we're created in God's image. We're indispensable to God's plan for this world. And if God loves us as parents love their children, and even more so, then it's clear that you wouldn't let anything bad happen to your child. And when you're disciplining your child, when you're doing something that is putting the child in their place, it's out of love. Therefore, we have to understand that God will not only allow anything bad to happen to us. So here's a very important point, because we as mortal parents, we, regardless of how much we love our children and how well-intended we may be, we can't control all circumstances. We cannot completely prevent our children from facing difficulties, whatever it might be. But God, who is omnipotent, can control all events and everything that happens in our lives. So whatever hardship, whatever difficulties, whatever challenges we face in our life, it's because God allowed it to happen. And if God allows that to happen, God will not let anything negative happen to us. So if that's the case, we have to realize there can only be two types of experiences in our life. One is good that feels good, and the other is good that doesn't feel good. Or perhaps the way Hasidus describes it is revealed good and hidden good. And this is a matter that's explained further in Tanya chapter 26, the idea that we can only experience these aspects in our life, good, revealed good and hidden good. Now, the obvious question then is, how can suffering and hardships be good? Right? So, we're going to have to unpeel, understand, rev- get to the bottom line of this, and we're going to go a little further in the Talmud and t- teachings of Tanya. And one of them is a famous story about Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva says, everything God does is for the good. And the famous story is where he's traveling and he winds up finding no accommodation in this particular town. And, of course, that could be bad news. that He has to sleep in the forest overnight. And worse yet, in the forest, a gust of wind extinguishing his, his lantern and his alarm clock, which was a rooster, gets eaten by a cat. And his means of transportation, which was his donkey, gets devoured by a lion. And Rabbi Akiva maintains that everything God does is for the good. And during the night, the Talmud tells us the city where he wanted to sleep was completely was attacked and the residents were taken captive. And Rabbi Akiva then realized, in hindsight, how everything God does is indeed for the good because who knows what could have happened to him. And he was speared that misfortune by the circumstances that did happen to him. And in life, we sometimes see how pain and inconvenience could lead to greater good. Sometimes a person knows this in advance, right? A patient goes into surgery 
You know that there's going to be pain. You know you're going to be bedridden and incapacitated for some time. But that the surgery will hopefully save your life. At other times, the benefit that the hardship is bringing on can only be understood and appreciated in hindsight. Sometimes, due to our limited view and wisdom, we don't see the benefit until we arrive in the next world. So, God, as our loving parent, at times, loving parents deliberately choose to do something that is maybe uncomfortable and even painful for the child. Think about when you take your kids for their vaccines and the shots that inoculate them against diseases. Well, obviously, you're preventing this child from chickenpox or whatever disease you're immunizing them from. But we realize it's not comfortable, it's not pleasant for the child at the time. That's because you love the child. It's not despite your love, it's because you love the child. That's why we discipline our children sometimes. It's out of love. And of course, when the child will mature and be wiser, then the child will understand and appreciate in hindsight the benefits of why their parents did it for them. And the same thing we could apply to whatever pain and suffering we endure, that there's a reason. God loves us and certainly has our good and best benefit in mind when God does whatever it is in our life, whatever challenges we face. Another famous story in the Gemara is about Nachum Ish Gamzu. This man, he got his reputation, his name from always saying, Gamzu Latova, everything God does is for the good. And the Talmud relates a story that once the Jews needed to send a gift to the Caesar, and so they sent him as their delegation to the Caesar. And they sent him with a whole treasure chest filled with precious stones and jewels. And on the way, he stops off at this inn for the night. But in the middle of the night, the innkeepers removed all the precious stones and jewels. And they refilled his chest with soil, with dirt, with dust, with garbage. Obviously, they wanted to make sure that the chest is still full. He wouldn't realize they completely re-gift wrap it. He couldn't tell the difference. And when he arrives in Rome and presents the gift, boy, was he in for surprise when the Caesar had him incarcerated, locked away for bringing a chest full of garbage, of dust. But Nachum always maintained a positive attitude. And he said, Gamzu Latava, the Caesar's locking me away, thinks I'm mocking him. But we know everything God does is for the good. Well, the Talmud recounts how in the middle of the night, Eliyahu Anavi appeared before the Caesar, disguised as one of his ministers. And he tells him, maybe this soil is the kind that Avram Avinu, ancestor of the Jews, used. And you might remember last week's Parsha, we read about how Avram successfully waged a war against four kings. And he was throwing these this dust from the earth of Israel and it turned into spears and arrows. So maybe it's the same dust that Avram threw on those enemies and it, try it out. So the Caesar wakes up from this dream and he decides, well, we could send this soil, we could send this dust to 
their war front, wherever they were having a battle with one of their enemies. And guess what? Indeed, as Elijah the prophet told him, he was able to win the war with this. He was so excited and thrilled by what Nachum did for him. Not only did he release him from jail, but he filled up his box with all types of precious stones and jewels and diamonds from his royal treasury, and he sends him back home with great honor. Well, on his return trip, Nachum spent the night at the very same hotel. This time he has a security detail with him. And they engage him, and he tells them all about his miraculous story that his diamonds were stolen, but guess what? The dust of the earth is what saved his life because they were able to win their battles with it. Well, the innkeepers, they thought to themselves, hey, it's our dust, it's our earth. Well, we got to do something. And so they said that they tore down, they raised their whole hotel down to the ground and they come marching off to Rome with truckloads of their dust. Caesar asks, what's this? They said, you know, you won the war with our dust from our property. Caesar says, let's check it out. And realizes, hey, this was actually a prank. And it was a miracle that it worked before with Nachum. And innkeepers were dealt with the fullest measure of justice. And of course, we think about these stories about Rabbi Akiva, Nachum Ishkamzu. Both of these stories have frightful turn of events and they have this like unanticipated positive ending. But if you look at the story, there's a powerful message. You see, Rabbi Akiva, on the one hand, he experiences difficulty and challenge and yet it works out all for the good. Nachum, he sees everything God does. Gamzu Tava, that too is for the good. Even the difficulty, the challenge itself, he sees it as a positive experience. He sees that within the event itself, what's negative, he doesn't see it as negative. He says, Gamzu Not just like Rabbi Akiva that everything God does is for the good. Gamzu, even this negative experience, Latava is also good. There's nothing negative about it. It's all good. It's all from Hashem. Nothing God does could be bad. And so the litmus test as to whether a particular event is like Rabbi Akiva saw it ultimately for the good, or as Nachamish Gamzu see it only for the good. You know, you could ask yourself, had I known in advance how the story would end, would I have ever experienced even pain or distress at all? In Rabbi Akiva's story is, yes, you know, the, the people didn't want to offer him hospitality. And his fire is extinguished, he couldn't study. And his rooster being devoured and his donkey is not pleasant. But Nachum doesn't even see pain, distress, difficulty in the story because to him, every, nothing appears to be negative. Everything is good. For whatever reason, it manifested itself in this way. Imagine a person giving a two-year-old kid a Krugerrand for Hanukkah Gelt. And the kid is disappointed. The kid's upset. I want chocolate Gelt. So the child is just too immature to appreciate that there's nothing wrong with a Krugerrand. On the contrary, it's worth a lot more than a little chocolate brand. 
But instead, he's fortunate to get something that's worth so much more, but the child doesn't appreciate it. Think in our own life. You see, sometimes in life, like Rabbi Akiva, we could see the hardships that in hindsight we realize how they lead to, the pain leads to greater gain. Or we could have Nachum Ishgamzu's perspective, where the hardship is a goodness in disguise. And I think it's very important to realize that in Rabbi Akiva's story, yes, there was negativity. Although it was a means to an end, and in hindsight, he was able to see the positive, and of course, that complements and enhances. Whereas, Nachum Ishgamzu, he only sees the good that comes out of everything. He sees that there's no negativity. The negativity doesn't exist. And could appreciate that difficult situations, knowing that actually it's just good in disguise. That there's nothing emanating from a mighty God that isn't good. Everything coming from Hashem is only good. And when we're back, we'll take it to the next level and discuss how to live with that paradigm in our lives. How we can only see good because everything that comes from God is only good. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. And welcome back to Salt Islam, Rabbi Akiva. Today we're taking it a step further, peering through pain and suffering and difficulties and trying to understand and make sense of pain in our life. And so far we discussed two paradigms. From one perspective, as the story of Rabbi Akiva, we could see in hindsight how all negativity actually leads to something positive. From the pain, this gain. But the second perspective, which was the story of Nachum Ishkamzu, there we see how everything emanating from God is only good. Now, I want to take it a step further and deeper into the mystical mysteries of the Tanya to understand this concept. Because everything that exists is born in God's mind, in God's Chachma and Bina. And it's there where all the planning happened and happens. The reasons, the goals, the objectives for every element of creation, we can find it in God's infinite wisdom. And once God's plan is set, that's when it's time to put it into motion. So this necessitates that emanation of God's emotional attributes. I'm talking about, we call it chesed, gevura, tiferes, kindness, and justice, and compassion. These are the various energies that are deployed in the creation and operation of our world. They're the building blocks of creation. These energies are all funneled into God's speech. Now with what did God create the world? We know that God created the world with speech. We say it in davening. Blessed is the one who spoke and the world came to be. God said, let there be light. There was light. So we have the divine energies with which the world is created. But in Hasidus it's explained there is what's called Alma the Iskasia and Alma the Isgalia. That means the hidden world and revealed world. When we speak of the hidden versus revealed, I'm not referring to that which the physical eye can or cannot see. I'm talking about intellectual powers which are essentially hidden and removed from the experience 
of everyone besides for the one who possesses it. Emotions and speech are revealed in as much as they're about other entities and other people. Nobody could feel, well, maybe somebody could feel your emotion, but nobody could get into your mind. I can think about and have opinions about another, but a relationship with another person, whether it's positive or negative, only begins once I have feelings about them. It's in a world of emotions and feelings when I merge from the shell of my private hidden world and enter the world of another. That person takes on significance to me. And the same is true about God's attributes. God's intellectual powers are beyond. They transcend creation. They're part of Him. They are as things are in His terms. And they exist on a level that transcends relating to us emotionally or practically. That's the hidden world. The powers that actually relate to creation. God's emotions and speech are the revealed world. They exist in order for God to interact with creation. That's called Alma de Iskalia, the revealed world. What does this have to do with hardship and suffering? I know it's great depth of Hasidus. Well, that's the difference. Whenever there are two entities that are different, different levels of intelligence, of wisdom, of experience, and the one on the higher level wants to express love and kindness to the one on the lower level, there are two ways that one could go about this. The kindness can be on the terms of the one on the higher level, the giver's hidden world, or the kindness can be on the terms of the one on the lower level, the giver's revealed world. Let me give you an example because I know this is deep stuff and I've got to think of a way to illustrate this. So if parents want to express the love and care for their three-year-old child, okay, even I would say you want to express your care to your pet. So there's two ways of doing this. One is you could deposit a few thousand rand in the child's investment, college investment fund. Or you could give the kid a sucker, a lollipop. Now, in the first instance, the parents are doing good on their own terms. You're putting money away for the child's college education. That we know is most valuable. But to the child, is that revealed good or hidden good? To the child, obviously, that is the revealed good. That's what they appreciate. They don't appreciate that's hidden good because they don't appreciate the endowment for their college investment. On the other hand, giving the child a lollipop is perhaps what you'd call revealed good because to the child, that's something they could appreciate at the moment. And the same thing you might say about your pet. The biggest kindness that you can do for your pet is sometimes not something that the pet will necessarily appreciate. Now, objectively speaking, we know that that college endowment is a much greater and more valuable good than a lollipop. But the child doesn't appreciate it because the child doesn't understand it. That's because of the child's limited understanding and experience at this moment. 
Not only does the child often not appreciate the greater kindness of the parents when you're doing something for their future investment, the child could sometimes resent it. My parents are not being nice to me. And think about it every time you make your kid do homework before you let them play. The child is thinking you're being mean and rude. But one day, that child will come to appreciate it. So which is revealed good, which is hidden good? The hidden good is far greater. So the parents are doing what's best for the child. And if parents limit their expression of love to the hidden world mode, the child does not sense and appreciate that love. Now, on the other hand, parents who only give love, let's say, only give lollipops, revealed love to the child, are they doing the child any favor? If you let your kid just play and don't discipline them sometimes, you're not doing any good for the child. So sometimes you can't only give revealed good. Sometimes you have to limit the revealed good and do what's maybe hidden for the child. And the same thing is applied to our relationship with God. But all the more so. God is infinitely, infinitely greater than us. And so God's wisdom is beyond our own. And we could perhaps understand and appreciate that what might not be revealed pleasant good for us, God knows what's actually best for us. And so when we come to understanding the difference between revealed good and hidden good, we realize that goodness that comes from God's hidden good, what might not be revealed good to us is not the lollipop for us. It's actually goodness on God's terms. A goodness that's so much greater than we could ever appreciate. And when we're back, we'll try to share just one more element to this aspect that will perhaps put it all into perspective. Branding is what people say about you when you aren't in the room. To find out how High FM can work for your brand, call us on 010-140-4090. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. And welcome back to Salt Islam, Rabbi, Rabbi Ari Kivman. And today we were talking about how we can come to an appreciation of suffering, of pain, of tragedy, of difficulties in our life. What benefit can there possibly be? And we discussed this and we shared a few different insights. Firstly, the difficulty can eventually bring to an eventual benefit. We spoke about how the negativity is intrinsically beneficial or its benefit and goodness is greater even than any revealed good because we appreciate that everything coming from God is good. But now I want to share with you another perspective, time permitting, that is explained in Tanya. And this is based on a verse in Tehillim, My closeness with God is good. Or another verse in Tehillim, where King David says, For your loving kindness is dearer than life. And in this verse, where King David is describing his tragedies, his difficulties in life, where he was fleeing from his father-in-law, from Shaul HaMelech, who tried to kill him. And he found refuge in the hot, arid desert in Israel. And David HaMelech describes his pain being banished from his family, from civilization, even from the Mishkan, from the tabernacle, the spiritual center of the Jewish nation. And he says, but your loving kindness is dearer than life. 
And that's why I praise you. Because David recognized that his suffering came from the hidden world. He didn't say, it's all fine, it must be good, everything God does is for the good. He appreciates it, he rejoices in it. He says, this is good. It's goodness that is dearer than anything life has to offer. It's dearer than even life itself. He says, the goodness that comes from Hashem is good. It's God's loving kindness, even though He's on the run, even though He's in the parched arid desert. You see, when you're in tune with a godly soul, you realize that everything coming from God is good. It's not about what's good, what's better, what's best for me. He realizes everything coming from God, whatever God wants for me, I'm in a relationship with Hashem, and that is good. So he doesn't even see the negative in it. He says, it's all good. So consider this. You would give lollipops to every kid in shul or your neighbors, but only, but you only deposit those Krugerrands in the account of your child. Because your hidden world is far greater expression of nearness and intimacy because you know what's best for your child. And David wasn't considering the nature of the gift of Hashem. He sees it all as good. Everything God does is the Krugerrand. It's all good. It all comes from Hashem. Every hardship, difficulty, suffering, challenge is simply God's loving embrace to every one of us. And that's the point, is can we realize, can we appreciate everything emanating from God as it is good? And so we could just quickly recap the story that we spoke earlier about Zusha. And Zusha realizes that everything coming from God is good. And he says, I don't see pain and suffering. I don't see difficulty in what God is giving me. I think this is when we tap into our godly soul paradigm. Because our animal soul always wants gratification and pleasure. And so, yes, of course, it, it feels, it experiences the discomfort and pain, the suffering of life. Because that is life. And we acknowledge and recognize the difficulties and challenges. But when, we're more, when we are more in tune with our godly soul, then we realize, uh-uh, nothing coming from God isn't good. So, my friends, I think this is a very powerful thought with which to leave you today. Because this is a perspective that we should try to adopt in our lives. I'm not saying it's something easy, but the more we're in tune with our godly soul, the more we realize that everything coming from Hashem is only for our good. And in that way, we can overcome any pain and suffering, any adversary that we face in our life. I know it's hard work because we have to get in tune with that. So understandably, if we could even get into tune with the idea of seeing it in hindsight, but not just to see it in hindsight, the greater benefit that's going to come to our lives from whatever it is, but rather to get in tune with this perspective that we realize everything emanating from God is only good. And then we could really truly overcome whatever pain and hardships that life faces. So let's just quickly recap. We see, obviously when we see the good in hindsight, there's no question that we experience discomfort and pain. That's true reality. But we realize, ah, we have the right attitude. 
And then we could alleviate the distress, the negative emotions, because we see the meaning, the purpose behind it. The ultimate idea that Tanya explains, though, is that we realize when we're one with God, when we're in tune with our godly soul, then we can actually rejoice in everything that we face in life. Because then we realize, ah, it all comes from Hashem. Now this, of course, is only when we're experiencing it. I'm not telling you to tell this to somebody else. You know, imagine a kid who, who's going through a painful operation and suffering a real pain. It's not for us to start telling the kid, hey, relax, don't you realize that everything's for the good? So nothing I'm telling you here is to underestimate and to undermine the pain and suffering that a person is going through in life. It's real. But when we're going through pain, perhaps then it is for us to find a way of realizing nothing God does for me isn't good. We, when seeing others going through pain, should be there to support them and recognize and acknowledge, but we accept our own painful experiences as God doing for us what's best. And that's just the insight that I wanted to share with you from Tanya today, that maybe suffering is an unfathomable good, Maybe it constitutes a closeness to God. And in hindsight, if we could get into that perspective, you know, we all say, I want lots of money so I can give lots of charity. I want health so I can serve God with all my energy. I want children to be healthy and well so that I could raise them up to be upstanding Jews who serve God and contribute to society. When someone else is going through suffering, make sure you're there to support them through their difficulty and challenge. Thank you, my friends, for being with us here today. And stay tuned for Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Shishler up next. He's going to share with us some of his experiences and inspirations from the Kinos HaShlechem that he's just come back from. And just to remind you that Pick and Pay Norwood today have these pocket savings just for you. Pick and Pay kosher lamb riblets for just one forty nine ninety nine per kilo. Kosher fish minced hake. At a very low one twenty nine ninety nine per kilo, kosher beef burger just ninety nine ninety nine per kilo, nori pressed beef one fifty gram at thirty five ninety nine per kilo at per one fifty grams sorry, and nori salami only thirty six ninety nine. You could catch these and many more specials in store, only at Pick and Pay Hyper Norwood, and only while stocks last. That's Pick and Pay Hyper Norwood, the best place to shop when you want to buy a lot. Dear friends, wishing you a meaningful and purposeful, great Shabbos. Stay tuned for Fresh Thinking Up next, and see you back here, same time, same place, next week, right here only, Soul to Soul, Chai FM.